I don't do this because I want fame or money or, you know, a nice car. I do this because I love working with my hands and I love building furniture. That's the voice of Ellen Smith, owner of Little Bear Furniture. And I'm excited to talk with her right after a quick word from our sponsor. This episode is brought to you by Jobber. Jobber is software to organize and manage your business. From quoting a project to getting paid to everything in between, Jobber software brings everything together to make projects easy to manage and customers happy, giving you more time in your day and getting you paid faster. Go to getjobber.com Ethan or check out the link in the show notes for a free 14-day trial of Jobber. And if you try it now, you get 20% off your first six months when you sign up. Hello and welcome to Building a Furniture Brand with Ethan Abramson, the show that talks about the business behind the furniture business. On this episode, I sit down with Ellen Smith, owner of the Northwest Ohio-based furniture company, Little Bear Furniture. For Ellen, furniture is seamlessly intertwined in her life. To quote her directly, I am a mother, I am a wife, I am a woodworker, I am a woman, I am not one without the other. That passion for one's craft is impressive and commendable. Rarely do people find a vocation that draws them in with such strength. Yet for Ellen, she can't picture her life any differently. But when one finds themselves so fully immersed in something, it can sometimes be hard to look at it with a critical eye. Yet Ellen has found a way to navigate this, to do what she loves and also be successful at it. Follow along as we talk about being an artist and a furniture maker, how to price your work the way you want to, how to balance your family life with your business, and much, much more. So my furniture journey started in college I went to Marshall University in Huntington, West Virginia, but when I went there, I went pre-med. I had always wanted to be a neonatologist for like as long as I could remember, but I also lived on HGTV and would rearrange my room constantly and was very creative, but didn't really get into art, didn't really... I built myself this horrendous desk in high school um, out of like porch spindles. I was, I mean, it was awful, but um, I decided in college that being a doctor wasn't for me and I should be an artist. And so I switched my major to graphic design because I thought I would always have a job and that would make the blow on my parents that like they're, cause it was very good. I mean, I was doing really well as a pre-med student. Um, I was a tutor and I just wasn't feeling it. I knew I wanted to have a family. I just decided to be an artist. And so I switched to graphic design, quickly learned I could not sit still behind a computer. And then I took a 3D design class in the sculpture studio at the university and immediately knew that's where I just like totally belonged there. So then I switched my major to sculpture and really found my groove. I loved being in the studio. I loved just making things with my hands and kind of pushing my own beliefs and upbringing into art. And so I guess I was very conceptual at the beginning, but then I took a furniture elective class and uh, that the rest was history. I mean, I loved it. I made 
everyone had to make a coffee table for their first piece. So I made a, a really nice coffee table out of Sapelli and just got really into joinery and the amount of love that you have to put into a piece of furniture to make it finished, I guess, like the hours of sanding and finishing and that really hooked me. And then I made like a bench or something for my second project, but I asked to make that my major and the university didn't have a furniture major, but they allowed that to be my work. And so for my next four semesters, all I did was make furniture and it was incredible. And now I'm still doing that, I guess, 12 years later. A lot of people love the idea of furniture as sculpture, as mm-hmm. as art, as building something, as making something. But if you do it for long enough and you're successful at it long enough, you realize that it is still all those things. There is still that artistic pull and that dramatic feeling of, of turning nothing into something, but it also becomes a business and it also becomes you have to take your art and make it into something that people want to buy. So how did you make that jump from having an artistic passion to actually selling your pieces of furniture and making a living from it? It really began with accepting that functional art is still art. And that's that, I think, for instance, potters. Potters are, they make wonderful bowls and vases, but, and they're considered artists where ceramicists that make more sculptural work are working in the same medium, medium, but they're, it's not functional. So why are they different? Because one has a function and one doesn't, that doesn't make sense to me. Like I, I do better with function than I do with something that's just going to sit. But also I realized that not everyone thinks like me. So I think what I started to do when designing my work was thinking about it as both a piece that someone can look at like they would on a pedestal, but that they could sit on or put their drink on or um, tell the time with, you know, there's so many layers to furniture that is both functional and sculptural, or just something nice to look at. And I think that they're one, like the form and the function for me is one and the same because I don't want to make something that could be sold at Ikea. I wanna make something that looks like it was handmade, that has a window into my passion behind it, but also serves as a piece in someone's home that they use daily. And Uh, I mean, for instance, I had this one customer one time, she's been a wonderful, loyal customer and she bought a children's chair for me. And I just assumed she was buying it for a grandchild or for, you know, a niece or nephew or something. And when I delivered it to her home, she said, I didn't buy this for, for anyone in particular. I bought this as an art piece. And it really stuck with me because I built that chair to be, you know, sat in by a small child, not thinking that someone would appreciate it in its form, not only as its function. And it's a real back and forth in my own brain where I'm making a piece and I'm looking at the 
the lines as I'm going, I'm like, well, I can't let this tip over if it's a chair. You know, I can't have the surface too small if it's a table. It has to function, but also look the way it does in my mind. I think it's a battle. I'm in a constant battle with myself with sculpture and function. Functional art is still art. What you said at the beginning of that is so true. And that is that is a perfect description of furniture in my mind because because furniture makers are still trying to be, they're still trying to have that artistic expression in, in their pieces. But like you said, people still have to sit on it. People have mm -hmm. to put a, a glass on it. So I 100% agree with that. And, and I get, we'll, we'll get that on a shirt or something like that and then show every, yeah. show everybody. <laughs> yes, absolutely. You can really see from the work that you do the work that you put out there that there is a sculptural form to it and and with that sculptural form it is very labor intensive you are not taking a sheet of plywood cutting it four times gluing it together and that's your piece of furniture your right. furniture has you're putting in the work for for lack of, for lack of a better way to say it you are working hard on that and that's not always something that you can put a number on because you're building it as it's happening so what's your process when a client comes to you and they say i'd really like a piece of furniture what's the beginning conversation of that look like and how does the process go from there to kind of give background i guess on my answers one of the things i learned early on in my journey in a, as a business and as a mother, I think is really important is that I need to make my commission work commissions that I want to do. So I, I think that the artist background in me wants to make the sculpture that I want to make. And then I'm like, okay, somebody buy it. And then I hang on to it for a while, but it's a piece of furniture. And, you know, if I make a couch, for instance, it has to fit in someone's room. It can't just, it's a large piece, right? So if I, it's something in my mind that I want to make. I'm going to make it. So the other side of that, though, is when someone asks me to make something, I want it to be something that would come out of my own mind, not me replicating something that they saw somewhere. And so that's been a battle for me, A, to sustain a business, but also to only take things I want to do. I don't want to resent the work I'm making. And so I've gotten it down to where I take a limited number of commissions a year and I spend the rest of my time making what I want to make. And most of the time that stuff sells and so it works out. Um, sometimes I hang on to a piece for a year or two and that's fine. But with a commission, I've now in my community and surrounding areas have built up enough of like a base of clients and like a knowledge of what my work looks like that, and what my passion, I guess, in my work, that I, I don't really have to turn people away because it's not something I wanna do. So if somebody comes to me and like, I'm working on a commission right now that's four bar stools and then two chairs and a round table and, they 
worked through all of my past designs that I've done, and then we kind of tweaked them to make them work for what she wants. And I like that I have made all these pieces because what she was looking through as past designs were the things I made because I wanted to make them. And so, well, I will do a commission that's purely new. I also love it when a client's like, I know your work, I know what I want in my kitchen, let's figure this out together. And we do, and I'm excited, you know, to do these projects because they're based on my own designs previously, not something that someone saw on Pinterest or something. And I think that that's such a hard thing to get over. And it was for me where I agreed to build things for people that weren't me. And it was because I needed the money or because I wanted the client. And then I hated every step of it. And that doesn't, I mean, that's not why I'm in this. And it's a balance as an artist, as starting as an artist, I feel like is a true gift to be a furniture maker, but it also, it, it's a struggle because, you know, I, I wanna make only original work sometimes. And then I'm like, oh, well, I guess I need to make stuff that people are gonna buy. It's an interesting position that you've found yourself in because when people have their own line of furniture, it can be very much what is in their head and they're putting it out there and people mm -hmm. either like it or they don't like it. But when people are doing custom work and you are doing a lot of custom mm -hmm. work, yes, you are doing your own spec pieces, but you're doing a lot of custom work. When, when you're doing that, your custom work is also very stylized, almost to the point where it is like a line of furniture that you're putting out. You definitely have a, a strong, style through the pieces mm -hmm. that you make. So how have you been threading that needle with doing custom work, but stylized custom work? You mentioned it a little bit in your answer before that people know your work and they're coming to you for that, but people didn't always know that this was your style when you were coming out with it. So how did you grow that reputation that this is the type of work you do, this is the type of custom work you do, and that people who want this type of work should be coming to you for it? I think that there's a couple different ways. I think that, first of all, the way I even started my business, the way I figured out I could, like, I think that artists after art school really struggle if they're not going straight into an MFA program or going straight to teaching. I think that it, there's this gap in education for artists to make a living without teaching or without immediate gallery representation. And I was definitely part of that gap. And I also had like an 18 month old and I'm like, what am I supposed to do now? I don't have the studio I was in at school. I don't have any of that. And so I, I took a total leap of faith and I applied to this great art festival in our town that's been in Ohio that's been recognized as one of the best in Ohio repeatedly and I got in and I showed mainly my work from my senior show and then I made a couple new things and it kind of showed me that okay you can be an artist and a mom but like also you can be an artist in this town and I was I won second place in the show and it was just this huge 
kind of boost, like, hey, Ellen, figure this out now. And from there I did. And my next show, people were asked, started asking like, oh, we saw you last year. Do you do custom work? And then it, it started from there. My husband is at the university and he also, he has a degree in sculpture, but he's very conceptual. His, like our connection to the university, applying to shows there. Um, I got noticed by a couple galleries here and there where I would have stuff in, but I really, I mean, art festivals around this area are how I started and they're so much work and the return is typically on your smaller items that your big items that bring people into your booth do just that. And if you sell one of them, you should have a party. And that is like art festivals or how I started. And I used to have to do so many to get through the year. And now I only do Black Swamp, um, which is the festival here in town. And I probably will always do Black Swamp because it's where I started. But I've met people there and then I was referred to this person here and I built some stuff for them. Trading, honestly, is a big way that I got around, I guess, in this areas that I would trade for um, my kids' school. I built a ton of Montessori furniture for them in exchange for tuition. I did the same for dance class for my daughter. So all of my work was out there in places that it wouldn't normally be because I was bartering to get not only, I mean, it's a great business boost and everyone, if they ask, oh, where's that cubby from? You know, I don't want to make cubbies for the rest of my life, but hey, check out my website and see what else I build. And it was just this combination of art festivals and bartering and meeting as many people as I could and talking about my work. And I think that that's another thing that festivals give you is that opportunity to talk about your work um, and why you do it. Um, and then also my local woodcraft um, is Toledo and They've had me for a demo a couple times and they really got my name out there and they helped me even figure out that social media was a thing to, that I could do. And I don't, I, like you said at the very beginning, there's no combin, there's no way, one way that my business started. There's a thousand different ways that it started and survived and is now thriving. And I don't, I still kind of pinch myself and I'm like, how is this where I am right now? And, and especially after a pandemic where so many small businesses had to shut down, especially home-based businesses with kids and somehow I'm still making furniture and I'm busier than I would like to be, <laughs> but that's a good thing. And it's, I don't know, it's a dream. You say it's a dream and you don't know how you ended up in this place, but you ended up in this place because of your artistic merit of the furniture you put out there and with the hard work that you put in. If you think back on your time as a furniture maker, as somebody making things, I'm sure there's a lot more failure and and time spent just you know late night hours and and stressful situations that you you pulled yourself through to get to this point so it's it's romantic to say oh this this just happened and i'm so happy but the truth is it happened 
because of the hard work that you put in. That is so true. It is. I want to say, I always want to say like, oh my goodness, I don't know how I got here. I do. I know how I'm, I got here because I spent so many cold days in the rental house garage that I started my studio in and it had no insulation and it is cold here and the wind is brutal and it went through every single board of siding and it was miserable and our kitchen island is the only place I could glue and I got from that with a three-year-old and a newborn and I kept making and I kept making and then we bought a house and I have my own space now and I know that I'm outgrowing this and the fact that I'm outgrowing that is an achievement and because I started in this horrible place and now I've got a great place but I need something better and something bigger because I've been working and 20 minutes is the amount of time I used to be able to work in a straight uninterrupted period because I would have a kid come out and be like mom I need this I'm like okay cool I'm gluing give me a minute and I still am, I still have that same like 20 minute mentality where I work probably harder and faster in the eight hours that I get when my kids are at school than most people do when they have an eight hour day at work because I'm so accustomed to working in a brief amount of time, not knowing when I'm gonna have to stop. And I do pull, I still pull eight hours because I love it and because I want more for my business, for myself, for my family. And I think that it pays off uh, in the long run. I've seen it happen now and I know it will continue to pay off as, you know, I keep working super hard and my kids are getting to see that. Like how cool is that? My parents did not, they worked very, they, they continue to work very hard, but neither of them were self-employed or makers by any means like my dad's a phd in english and my mom is uh, she was a fundraiser for years and she's retired now and i don't know how i became a maker out of that but i know that my kids are getting to watch me work with my hands build my own business build my own brand it's just a constant i work non-stop on a million different things in a million different ways and it never stops. Your actual start of this was an artistic start. It was mm -hmm. a, a studio arts major, I believe. Mm -hmm. it, the way you began your business is very artistic based and the way you continue to view it is very much as that artist, maybe even more so than as a furniture maker. And the difference between those two professions or those two titles, because they definitely blend together for a lot of people, there is a big difference when you talk about the work that you're actually producing and the way that you're pricing that work. Because a lot of people who are furniture makers are pricing their work based on materials, time mm -hmm. spent, and things like that. But artists are not pricing their work for this is how much a canvas costs, this is how much brushes cost, this right. is how much paint costs. There's a much different pricing model going into it. And this is where the idea of 
the artistic side of a furniture business and the business side of a furniture business have sometimes trouble meeting each other. So how do you view your work yourself and your pricing model for the pieces that you put out there? This is one of the things that I struggle with and I continue to struggle with because, and I think that the artist in me, I'm not making it, I'm not making a piece to, to make a sale. I'm making a piece because this is something that's been like taking over my brain. This is something I see and I want to it to become a reality. And so it makes it a real challenge when it comes to even thinking of selling a piece because I have this attachment to it's, it's, you know, it's a reflection of what is in my actual head that's in front of me. It's not, you know, a four legged table with a certain wood top and a certain style leg. Like it's, it may have those qualities, but they didn't start in the same way as someone ordering it from a carpenter. And that is something that I struggle with a lot with pricing because sometimes pieces are priceless. If I counted the amount of hours I've thought about it and tried to charge for that, it would be like a million dollars, but that's not fair to the client. And so I typically will look for something that's comparable in material. So I'll look up the price of a table and chairs and then I add to it the artistic element and that fact that it is likely one of a kind. But that being said, if I really like a person, find myself pricing something lower and that's not a great business model, but I would be doing this even if they weren't buying my chair or buying my table. And so what comes with that is that you have to be careful, especially like I live in a pretty small town where if I charge somebody that I really enjoy and I love what they're doing and we have similar values, if I charge them, you know, $400 for a chair and I charge somebody that was totally rude to me, eight, it's going to come back and get me. Like I, I realized that. And so I always try to base my price off of, A, I try to calculate the amount of hours I'm going to spend on it. I always spend more hours. I should automatically double what I think I'm going to spend. Um, but I also try to present my work as art and not as furniture. And that works for me. And I now take four to six commissions a year, depending on, and I, that is a, that seems like a super low number, but I'm making so many other items that I'm selling at the same time that it, it works out business-wise. That also makes me high demand. I think is what my point is, is that these are the spots that I have. If you want me to make it, I will. If you want something less expensive, go somewhere else. But I also present like for a client that I'm working with right now on an estimate I'm like this is my design this is what the seat could look like if you want me to build the legs if you want wooden legs it will be this price if we have a metal fabricator make some legs it'll be this price and you choose which one works for you so that's one step that I can pass to someone else yes I could fabricate the legs myself even out of metal but 
it's going to be a little bit, not much, but a little bit less expensive than me making the legs. And I've just kind of gotten that rhythm figured out to where it's okay to pass work to someone else. I have a constant battle as like a businesswoman and an artist to make myself valuable, to value myself and to sustain a business that allows me to create the random thoughts in my head that I hope people buy. I agree with what you're saying that that pricing can be tricky and and that's why whenever I talk about different pricing structures for different companies and different people, I always say there's not one right way to do it, but there is a right way for a specific person to do it. And the way one person runs their business might not be right for somebody else because some people can leave money on the table and can focus all on customer service because that's the way their business is set up. That's the way, that's what they're trying to take out of the business, whether it's profit or time or notoriety or press. People have to remember when they hear owners of companies talking that number one, these people have put in the time to learn what pricing model works for them. And number two, that they could be in a completely different place and want to get much different stuff out of their business than what the person listening is trying to get out of it. Yeah. And I think that, I think that's something that I have taken away from other episodes on your podcast is that it's very different for everyone. And I think customer service is really a common theme that we all want happy clients. But I also, while listening to some of them was like, wow, that's just not the way my brain works. And and I'm not saying that I'm, I, I'm actually saying I'm very likely not right. I am not seeking notoriety in furniture. I'm not seeking any financial gain other than, you know, enough to support my family and my business and be happy. I don't, I don't do this because I want fame or money or, you know, a nice car. I do this because I love working with my hands and I love building furniture. And I have had several like hilarious conversations with people. Hey, why why don't you charge more for this? And well, I I also want my furniture in people's homes and I want someone to enjoy this and I can't keep everything. And I'm not sure that my that business model is an example for success, but I think that that's an example for balance and for humility. I don't want to be unreachable as a person or as a brand or as an artist. I want to be, I want to produce quality work and I want people to buy it and enjoy it and you know, make it part of their home. I'm not in this, yeah, I mean, I'm not in this to become this crazy wealthy furniture maker that's my friend's kid a dance class can't afford like a chair for her kid i want them to be able to afford that i i don't want to price out of a price range that's not reachable i don't want to be exclusive to the elite i i want to get my time i want to get my material and i want to make a little money that's what i'm in it for and i think that that is 
probably not everyone's. I mean, I know it's not everyone's ideal, but I'm also very, very different. And I think that that sets me apart as a business and an artist and a person. The idea of balance for somebody in their workday, in their company, is very important in the furniture business. And even more so with smaller companies when the owner is the driving force behind the company itself. And late nights means actually your late nights and taking mm -hmm. away from your family time. And I know that not only listening to you through this conversation, but seeing it on your social media, on your website, everywhere that you say you are a furniture maker, you also say that you are a mother, that you put your family first and that furniture and family are intertwined and they go hand in hand and you couldn't think of one without the other. And so how do you balance that balance in your life where you make labor intensive pieces of furniture and you build a lot of work, but you also want to spend time with your family because they are equally important to you? I, I think that this is something that I have finally mostly figured out. Um, from the get-go, I have always had my kids with me in the shop as much as it is safe. Uh, obviously, I'm very aware of dangerous tools, of dust, all of that. Um, but they're out there with me. They're If they're out while there's dust in the air, they're fine to wear a mask. That was true before the pandemic. And honestly, I'm grateful for that, the fact that they were used to wearing masks to get us through this pandemic. But I have always involved them in everything that I do. I have them test out, you know, if I'm making it table and chairs for some kids, they're, they're testing it out. They're sitting in it. They're, I mean, one of my most passionate parts of my work and one of the ways I've had success as a business is using all of my material. And so they've inspired that, you know, through toys. When I had to homeschool my daughter for kindergarten, I was like, I'm going to make the most amazing, beautiful manipulatives for her Montessori kindergarten year. They're part of it. They're out there. They're inspiring me. They, Jack, my son is constantly snagging scraps to build something or paint something on it. He helps me sand. I mean, they're part of the making of the inspiration and then they're my biggest supporters i mean they are so sweet they brag about me which is something that i mean i don't i don't like a ton of attention and that is something that jack just will talk about the parklet or he'll talk about black swamp my mom's gonna be there and you know blah 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 and that's so cool like they're proud of that but it is such a struggle to manage it all and I pour a cereal and I go out and I unclamp something. And then if I have time, I can clamp something else. And they know not to hug me if I come in covered in dust. 
And I'm like, hang on, let me go change. They know that this is part of who I am. They know that I'm really grouchy if I'm out of the studio for more than a couple of days. I mean, I, Jack's, I made a chair for Jack in 2013. And that chair is one of the reasons that I'm still making chairs. It's, they don't separate. I mean, like you said, they really are the same thing. My business is because of my family and for my family and making furniture. It happens with them and for them. So it's interesting. I mean, this is a pure lifestyle. It's not work and home. It's the same thing. The reason I asked that question is because you have a quote on your website that says, I am a mother, I am a wife, I am a woodworker, I am a woman, I am not one without the other. And the way I'm hearing you talk and your story that's taken you to this point, I can see all of those things reflected in the way you've grown your business. And you said, oh, this, this might not be for everybody or I might be doing it wrong. But if it's working for you, mm -hmm. then you're doing it right. There's nothing right. There's nothing wrong with succeeding the way you want to succeed. Yeah, I think that that's, I mean, that's very true. And I think, honestly, pointing out that if it works here, it, it could work somewhere else. And I think it's important not only for my kids, but other kids and you know, uh, my friends, kids do the, they're in scouts and they do the, the little wooden car races. I mean, I get to cut his car every year and he like talks to me about it, you know. And, you know, my friend's kids come over and know that there's going to be a pile of wood scrap that they get to play with. And for me, that is important. And that is almost as important as selling a piece of furniture, like just knowing I'm pretty sure the summer in downtown Bowling Green, I was just like the girl that walked around with a drill because I was installing these parklets and, you know, we're trying to get used to all these things that are downtown and I'm adjusting things and I'm just walking around in overalls with a drill constantly. I would much rather be known for engaging with kids and inspiring them to use their hands and be creative, especially young girls that you know, break down as many barriers as you can, because I am still doing that. And, you know, as a business in the community that is giving her time without pay to just make our downtown better and to build these structures that, you know, bring people outdoors and bring life to downtown. Those are the things that are important to me. And I think those are the things that also or why I have loyal customers and why I am not the only reason why, but why I get great commissions. And, you know, I get to make what I want to make. That's awesome. And I sell those pieces, but I also get to be part of this community and part of my kids' lives and their friends' lives. And pre-pandemic, I did a lot of work with young kids through a local art school and then my kids' Montessori school, because I want I want every child to know that they have the ability to be creative and make money from it or sustain themselves from it. And I 
think that there's so many layers to being a maker. And my son, whenever like he's been asked, like, what does your mom do? He says, wood artist. And I feel like that's a pretty good representation. I think I introduced myself as a furniture maker more, but I want to be so much more than just a furniture maker as a person and as a business. And it means I juggle a million things and it might mean that I'm not the most successful financially business in the world, but it, the success for me is not measured in my profit. And there are a lot of layers to it, like you said, and yes, there is the societal aspect of it where you want to show children and young girls specifically that they can make a living building things out of their imagination and making it into a reality. And that is a incredibly important goal and one that I applaud you for, but it's also your process. And you talk with furniture makers, you say, how do you come up with your inspiration? And some people will say, oh, looking at buildings or oh, out in nature. And, and you can look at it through the eyes of a child and see something mm -hmm. new that you might have lost when you're thinking about it as as the adult that you are now and you get to see things through different perspectives and that is all a part of your artistic process i am constantly living with my work and making my work based on you know my life or my comfort and when i design furniture for comfort i always sit especially with carving I always sit in the seat as I'm carving it and I'm like, okay, like this is comfortable. But I also have completely changed my view on height of a seat. There's this different perspective too from a woman's stature, from someone that doesn't want to have to sit way back in a chair, that doesn't want to sit in the front of the chair. I think that breaking down this standard for the size of a stool or the height of a chair or the width of a chair. You have to find this happy medium between those where a person that is short or tall could be comfortable in it. And that's like what I really want to do. And that's what I continue to work on constantly is just like make something that works for a kid and an adult and a short person or a tall person. Like I don't want it to be the standard in size. I think that furniture making is maybe a strange way for my art to fall in line and provide a function, but also break down a lot of barriers and adapt for personal comfort and personal size and need. I think I just want to be as different as a chair you can order in a box as possible. People are hearing your story and trying to fit their own journey into the steps that you've taken. But like we've said, it's a different path for everybody and everybody approaches it from a different way and everybody wants to get something different out of it. But for people who are listening and who 
want to start a furniture company and they want to be successful like you have been in this business, what type of advice would you give them when they want to go out on their own and do this? And there's also the people who have been doing this for a long time, but don't feel like they're getting as much out of it as they want to and don't feel like they're being as successful as they want to. They put in those hours that you've put in. They've put in those late nights. They know that balance is something that you want, but it's not always achievable. And sometimes you are all in on building something and not in at all on the personal side. So they've been there and they want to hit that level of success that they're aiming for. So what type of advice would you give to these people from your own journey that you could share? My first bit of advice would be figure out what your definition of success is. Is success return on a piece of furniture? Is that your profit margin? Is it your followers on social media? Is it you being in a gallery? Is What is your success? Is it just making what you want to make and sustaining it? And, you know, that and being happy and providing that's my success. And I think that that's different for everyone because success is very personal. I have lived by a Teddy Roosevelt quote, do what you can with what you have where you are. And that has been my entire basis of my business. I don't want anyone to think that they can't start a business but you have to be prepared for it to not work. And you have to be prepared to do it with what you have. And by what you have, I mean, if you only have a, I started with a jigsaw and an angle grinder and a sander and I made a chair and then I made another and I grew from there. But you could also, what you have could be a savings account dedicated to this and you can purchase all these things and do it that way. That's great. It's just using your, resources and your materials and your network doing that to its fullest like doing it when you can when you're ready and then just commit to it like make what you're doing and when you're doing it and where you're doing it make it count what that success that you want to get whatever that definition of success that you have for yourself commit to it and make it happen where you are and you'll be so rewarded because there's just this like incredible reward working with your hands and getting to do it for a job and getting to sustain that business but also like support your family and grow your community and get out there i mean i am the a very eccentric lover of what i do i don't do it for anyone else and sometimes selfishly just do it for myself but I think that that is why I'm successful. And I feel like anyone listening to this knows that I am very everywhere and proud adult with ADHD and bounce all over the place and zero in when I need to. But at the same time, every part of my journey and my brain and my creativity and my heart and my family, all of that is why I've made a business that is successful and sustaining itself through pandemics and injuries and two kids. I have two kids that I've had both while I, like, I'm so proud of myself for that. Celebrate the little things. Success is what you make it. 
celebrate the little things and celebrate the big things too. And you have shown that there is enjoyment in both of those things. And I really do appreciate you sharing your time and your story with us as a artist, as a furniture maker, as a mother, as a wood artist, which <laughs> sounds sounds like a pretty good description of yeah. what you do. So thank you very much for for sharing your story with us. And I truly, truly appreciate it. Yeah, thank you. Thanks so much for listening to Building a Furniture Brand with Ethan Abramson. If you liked what you heard, you can subscribe to this podcast anywhere you like to listen. To learn more about the show, you can visit buildingafurniturebrand.com. And feel free to reach out anytime to say hey, ask a question, or suggest a guest for future episodes. Our email is hello at buildingafurniturebrand.com. You can follow along with me on Instagram at thebuildwithethan, and I can't wait to bring you the next episode. This show is produced and edited by me, Ethan Abramson. Hope you enjoyed, and thanks so much for listening. The Building a Furniture Brand with Ethan Abramson podcast is proudly part of the Woodpreneur Network, the media network and community for wood entrepreneurs. Check out woodpreneurlife.com for more information.